1: Welcome to the Mike Avedere Show. This is Mike Avedere. It is Thursday, February 3rd. I didn't already get to the third day in February 2022 already. I don't even understand that. Anyways, great to be with you all. Hope you guys enjoyed your NFL Conference Championship weekends. As always, we have a fun show laid out for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit of soccer. Christian Pulisic. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL. no. We're gonna talk a lot of NFL, and we're gonna get right to it. We're graced by the presence of Pop DiBiase, the prime-time
2: handicapper. Pop, what is up, my friend? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, brother?
1: Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. It isn't the Rona, but it's just, uh, I don't know, man. You, you ever like been up all night stressing out, and then you wake up in the morning and you're like, what was I stressing out about? Right. Kind of had one yeah. of those, so I didn't really sleep at all. So, kind of been uh, dragging all day today. But that's why I'm here to bring the energy. That's why I have, I have with me a pop DiBiase to help me bring the energy. So, we could talk about a lot of stuff because the NFL is going to have a kind of an odd Super Bowl media week, <laughs> don't you think? I mean, it isn't going to be what we thought it would be like just, you know, 36 hours ago or like right after the games on Sunday when we were talking, thinking of. Storylines and subplots, and and you know what's the narrative going to be for the Super Bowl and stuff like that. It's going to take on a little bit of a different theme this year, Pop.
2: Yeah, in a sense, you know. But I think with the situation that's happening right now, I know that this week it's going to eat up a lot of the headlines. But next week, when you get over to the media week, people are going to be so busy trying to get the interviews, exclusives, and all this good stuff that they'll figure out a way to somewhat sweep it up under the rug. It still will get mentioned, but it won't be. I don't think it will be at the head of the table like it is right now. You know what I mean? But because I've been a part, because last media week I was at was in Miami a few years ago. And, you know, since the COVID situation and everything like that, it's really the media days aren't the same anymore. So we'll, um, we'll, I'll be back next year when we go to, I think, Arizona. So pretty much um, when it comes down to it, uh it's it, it that's just what it is because you people have to understand when I went to my first media week with the Super Bowl Kobe Bryant died that Sunday you know what I mean and Kobe was like the first day it was a big Kobe talks There's a lot of questions and, and you would you would have thought it would have made a rain cloud over the game and you know and question asking but it actually didn't but I know that that wasn't NFL so you know what I don't know what, what it's going to be, but you you are so right, Mike. This is open. To, I think that Mr. Flores has opened up Pandora's box in a sense as well, too. And he's kind of putting uh, some other parties at risk, risk, too, outside of the NFL that do business within the NFL as well, too. And, um, you know, that what that is, I don't want to get too far into it, but, you know, that's. Uh, he was speaking, it's some, it's, it, you know, it's about integrity, Mike, at the end of the day. And when you start saying things like, you know, the owner day is, is, is giving out bonuses for losses and things like that. It just it kind of makes it to where you start looking at things a little bit differently. And then you say to yourself, damn, I hope they won't take the uh, games off the book in Vegas. I know that they, they won't. But, you know, come on, man. You know that the, you put now you're putting other parties at risk doing things as well too so i know this is just a really really ugly situation and hopefully and it's not going to be resolved quickly that's why we know that it doesn't matter what's what what happens today tomorrow this is not going to get resolved at all within the next week and a half we know that so this is going to be a prolonged situation so this is going to be a topic every single day literally in the nfl but i think they're going to try to figure out ways to put it more and more in the back burner, more and more in the back burner. But it's such a hot topic right now that it's, it's on fire. So there's nothing you can do about it at this point. Yeah, I
1: mean, look, you said so many different things that I want to talk about. But the one that's loaded that you just conveniently zipped and glossed right by. And I can't believe that it's even a possibility, but it is a huge possibility Vegas taking lines down? NFL lines down? I mean, think about what that would do because when you look at the entire strategy of the NFL pushing into the 2020s and beyond, you could see that a very central piece of the marketing, of the flow of information, of the strategy, of where future revenues are going to come from, relates to to gambling man right let's just let's just let's just flat out say it. i mean and i know that as a fact because i know what they're looking at and what they're about to roll out over these next few years and it's going to be as each state comes on board especially when you have like new york and florida and texas and california well i don't know if texas ever will come on board with the whole gambling thing but you know what i mean like as more states big states come on board it's gonna be such a huge piece could you imagine all of a sudden they have to like now defend their integrity because it ain't just Flores, right? We just saw a huge accident come out the other day, which kind of tells me that he's probably done coaching football. <laughs> I don't know but what you know what, though, bring him back. Uh,
2: I don't mean to interrupt you, Mike, but you know what? We could go 50 50 on that with you. Because, brother, when you go 1 and 31, I don't know. Because after a while, you know. Pretty well, his much-
1: bank account must be loaded then.
2: Right, your bank account must be loaded. And I interviewed him not too long ago. I'm not going to talk bad about you because he's my guy. But he was over there. Uh, he was promoting a, a tequila that I still haven't seen in stores. So, bro, come on. It's like literally. like He, he comes out because he just wants to be in the news. That's Hugh Jackson right Well, there.
1: hold on, hold on. I'm going to push back on that a little bit, Pop, because I'll tell you what. I've had guys play for Hugh. You remember – well, you'll know this for sure. You remember back when they were trying to figure out – who's going to be the coach during the time period of like the Tom Cables uh, of the mm-hmm, Raider days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had two guys on the team at that time, Lewis Rankin and Nick Miller. And from day number one, they're telling me it's got to be Hugh Jackson, if not his cable. We like cable a lot. But Hugh's opportunities were it was like he was going to be the next shining star. He was like the Zach Taylor and Sean McVeigh of this Super Bowl like 12 years ago. Yeah. And it seems like it took a long time before he finally got his shot and it was kind of built on, all right, let's, let's build these draft picks to get like the Manziels and the, 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 just the crappy picks. It never really worked out for him. Not sure it was necessarily his fault. Um, but supposedly he wasn't getting along with, with, uh, with uh was it with Menzil or was it with this uh Baker May- Mayfield? I don't even remember now. It seems like it was
2: it, the situation was Baker because Johnny was more of the situation with uh Mike Peteen and crew like That's that. Right. That's and right, and Shanahan and crew like because you know everybody has to know Shanahan was in um Cleveland before he went to Atlanta that got him the San Francisco job. So Okay, okay. so so, yeah. so so
1: so thank you. Thank you for that because I think regardless of which quarterback it is. We're kind of seeing something here, man. And I'm you know me, I'm not a race-baiting guy at all. Like that's not me. I don't believe in the race card. My parents the way they raised me was you look beyond it. You know it's going to happen. You look beyond it. You don't make it an excuse ever. That's how I was raised. That's how I was brought up. Be colorblind. It doesn't matter. All right? But I got to call it out when I see it. How many white head coaches have we seen pressed on the quarterback situation like Jackson, like Flores, etc. It's probably happened, but we haven't heard as much about it. But now all of a sudden, the times when we're talking about quarterback situations and friction, it also happens to be black quarterbacks. It also happens to be guys that are being paid for losses, supposedly. I don't know, man. Maybe it's a crazy coincidence. Maybe these are lies. I just find it to be awfully peculiar.
2: That's all. Right. And, well, let me give you some good – and let me give you some, I guess, uh, the other side of the coin where it's not race baiting in a sense because I know his skin tone and everything like that, and it's it looks really obvious. But Hugh Jackson, we both know. I think what happened with him is, is that he kind of – okay, the Raiders situation – he could be can't, he could have stayed at the Raiders coach, but he kind of wanted to have a standoff with Reggie McKenzie the day after, you know, and then he got all cocky and was like he thought he had Mark Davis up under his thumb. But Mark Davis is is speaking to all these old NFL execs, and we all know John Madden had a lot of influence on what everything that was happening with the Raiders before he had before he got too ill to really be around like that. We both noticed when Al Davis died, so pretty much. I would say that in a sense that I think that Hugh, the first time around with the Raiders, he could have stuck around with the Raiders if he didn't get so, so, so ahead of himself. Now with the Browns, I felt like he wanted to do things one way. They wanted to do things another way. He, he was okay with losing, you know what I mean? In the, in the beginning to build up the team, but then when they said they have the first pick in the draft two years in a row, they get a lights out guy in, uh, in Garrett. And then he was thinking to himself, maybe we don't need to waste this first round. Maybe we don't need to go get Baker Mayfield with the first pick in the draft. Maybe we could hold up and try to go get the, I'm trying to think what quarterbacks is there in this group? Cause I think Josh Allen's in his group. I think Lamar Jackson's in the group as well too. And you know, maybe he's thinking about getting guys like that. But once again, I have a lot of roots to Cleveland. So they're looking at Baker Mayfield like, oh, he fits right on in in Cuyahoga County. This is our type of guy. So they're looking at more of a who's going to put the butts in the seats. And so they get Baker. Baker's an automatic commercial uh, commercial uh, darling. You know what I mean? So the Browns have, for the first time, a quarterback that's actually on national television every single uh uh, they, and they that's what they visualized. But they weren't going to be able to have that moment if you still had Hugh Jackson having doubts about the quarterback. And they wanted to make sure that they're step and step together. And I think Brian Flores, the reason why he's out now, too, because he did the same exact thing with Tua. And they just want you to go with what they hired you to do. It would be great. You could have the say if you're the owner of the team, you could have to say if you're the general manager, coach of the team. But when you're the coach, you're seen as the manager. You're not the supervisor. The GM is the supervisor. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that when they add, tell you to do certain things, you just go about and do it. But what I love about Brian Flores is, is that he doesn't have that type of mentality where you're going to tell him what to do on football if it doesn't sound right. And that's where a lot of people have his back at. You know what I mean? So pretty much that's great, but we're doing all this after the fact. If you felt that, okay, you know what? Co, you be coming up to me talking about because if I'm you, if I'm if I felt just like how he did when he said that, I don't operate like that. But if somebody would have came to me and said that, all right, man, you uh, you lose the games for a hundred thousand. Uh, if you lose this X amount of games, you guys get a hundred thousand for each game you lose. I would say go ahead and have my lawyer draw up my resignation letter and say, you know what? I won't say anything about this, but I don't even I don't even operate I, I don't operate like this, and we're just gonna move along. This was that's way. easier said than done, my friend. Right, they have your wasn't fit. But, but when you got the job, but when you got the job, you'll do whatever they tell you to do. It's an NFL head coaching job, okay, so look. at the end of the day, you know what? It is what it is.
1: Okay, look. Hugh Jackson, and I just want to stick with him for a quick second. He had one season with the Raiders, eight and eight.
2: Eight and eight's like, like one of the top three. Playoffs. They was they, they actually went five and one in the uh, division that year too, though. Yeah, did well. yeah. they did Good well. They did well. Well, they did well.
1: Eight and eight is like the, like the one of the top three seasons, <laughs> top three seasons in the last twenty years. As as sad as I am to say that about my beloved silver and black, that's all he had. That's all he had. Now Cleveland, yeah, he was three, 36 and one. But you know what that comes out to? That comes out to two seasons and a half. See, so one pretty solid season and then two seasons and a half. What job does Hugh Jackson have right now? All I'm saying is in a league that recycles guys and, and hangs on to like Jeff Fishers after like decades of, of mediocrity, riding on one Super Bowl appearance and then going eight and eight for the next 15 years after that, I think these guys are at least they've got they've got something there because I think they're seeing the inner workings each and every day. They're seeing guys that get an opportunity and then quickly whacked and then have a really hard time getting a job again. And then they see other guys who not only get a long leash but then when they finally get fired, they get an opportunity again, like two or three years for a head coaching job again. And I think they're seeing it over and over again. And I think we could see it over and over again because there's not a lot of examples going the other direction. And I think that's the big problem that I have with it. Now, you are talking about, and, and just for, for those who are new to the show or maybe those who don't know, Pop is a media member. I'm not a media member. I'm an NFL agent that happens to host a show pop is actually a real full-fledged real deal media member so when he's talking about going to media days and and is it going to be a circus or is not going to be a circus it's because he's seen things but i'll tell you what we've dedicated the first quarter of this show on this topic many other shows have done the same and when you look at the narratives going into super bowl week i mean really how many are there joe burrow and jamar chase lsu and then what for Cincinnati? What else are you get to talk about? The Rams, Matthew Stafford, big-time loser with the Lions, finally gets a ch- his chance. How do you feel? Odell Beckham, cast off after a couple of teams, world-class talent. How do you feel? Cooper Cup, great hands. Okay, cool. Now what? Uh, Aaron Donald and Von Miller. All right, we're done. Now they're going to be focusing on Sean McVay and Zach Taylor. Were are they? Two hella young white guys who have head coaching jobs, who have been through the head coaching cycle, who are probably going to be asked if this is a, a fair cycle or not. They're going to be put on the spot, and it's not their fault at all. At all, at all. They got their dream jobs. They did it fair and square. Props to them. No, no hating against them. I wish them well, and I hope they have longevity. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how diverse their staffs are. I'm not that well-versed on the Cincinnati Bengals and even the LA Rams coaching staffs to know how diverse they are. But I think by the mere fact that these are whitehead coaches that are very young, that didn't really like earn their dues, so to speak, over a long period of time, yeah, this is going to be a subject matter that's going to dominate Super Bowl week pop. And I'll tell you this much. What really makes me think that is, look at the number of owners who are frantically coming out to put out statements now. Or even guys like John Elway, front office guys, he had to put out a statement today. That tells me that the league is pretty scared, man.
2: Yeah, they are. And it's, and you know what? This one just, you know, this one is just another another black eye on a league that just has several black eyes. It's just, it's something that comes up every year and then it just gets thrown out there. Then the NFL is sitting there with their pants around their uh, ankles. But let me go ahead and just note something real quick. He said diversity on staffs. Let me give you a great example of, of a coach that, you know, we got McVay and Taylor two two young guns, right? Let me give you a coach on McVay's staff, Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris was hired as a 30-year-old head coach by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was just like McVay. He was seen as a whiz kid. He had all everything together. He had a great plan, but he lacked experience. He was fired right away. But you know what? There were mistakes made. Josh Freeman was his quarterback, you know what I mean? And he was dealing with a lot of older guys on that Bucks team that were on their way out, you know, all the famers as well too. So, you know, he didn't get a chance to really build anything there. They just were like, literally like, he just was lacking experience and he just was tough for him to, you know, um, get his his staff to really respect him. So what does he do? He spends the next decade plus being one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL and then be, is a key asset to, as well, too. Winds up being getting the interim job over in Atlanta and did a great job in Atlanta. The team finished up 4-4 four and four after starting off with a horrendous start, and he absolutely got overlooked for a guy who looks absolutely clueless. The only reason why Atlanta won games is because Matt Ryan is a savvy veteran. So pretty much right now, I just want to be on your show and say this, that Raheem Morris is a guy that has to, get a gig here, a head coaching gig, because I think that he paid his dues. And I think that now he has the experience to lead a team. And these are the two teams that need to be having a bid and war for him, the Jaguars and the Texans. And if I was him, the Texans would be the best bet because you can go ahead and create something there. And you know what? You guys can get good pretty quickly because Houston has a way of always being able to bring in the uh, those really hard working players. They're a team that flies under the radar uh, a lot. And I think that the way that Morris as coaches up these packages and these defenses, that is the absolute perfect fit for him if he wants to build something on He'd build something and, and not be rushed in the process, because I know Houston will give you time. David Cully was never going to be a long-term situation for them. They brought in David Cully to see if they could get Watson to come back, and he didn't. And he did a pretty good to, job, though. Yeah, he did a great job. He did an excellent job. And I would say that I would refer him again for uh, another head coaching job. But. I would say the Jags would only be a great fit for him is if he goes to the because uh, 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 I say Texas, but I think the Jaguars are more on my mind because he's already known in the state of Florida. And then he gets Trevor Lawrence as a starting quarterback. And he has Miles Jack as a starting middle linebacker. This can go of. ahead and be Rams 2.0 right here with morris as the coach but now you have 10 years worth of more experience but you've already been a head coach so he has to get another job in this i league. completely and those two agree teams with have you have to get those two teams have to be have him at the top of their list and yeah, i completely
1: it, agree with you we're about two minutes over on time for oh, commercial I'm break so, so let's so take sorry. a quick time out we'll come back hopefully pop has another minute to be able to finish his thought i know he's got to run because like i said he is a media member. He's going to be shooting out to Las Vegas. Uh, stay with us, everyone. We will be right back after this on the Mike Abadir Show.
3: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: This is The Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at show.com Now, back to this week's
1: program. Back for a second segment on The Mike Abadir Show. I am your host, Mike Abadir. I am pleased to be joined by... Pop D.B. extraordinary handicapper, media member, covers boxing, basketball, football, horse racing, you name it. He does it all. Pop, you were talking about Raheem Morris, and I want to let you finish your thoughts on why you think that he should be uh, introduced as a head coach, maybe even, uh, you know, one of these cities in the, in the Deep South.
2: Well, I just say that because simply because I think that his demographic fits these areas. Like J- uh, Jacksonville, I would say Jacksonville has a lot of You know, um, you know, a lot of minorities there as well, too. And they need and they've never had a a black head coach as well. So that would be something that would be very historic and something that would be uh, something fairly fresh and something very new. And then, you know, Houston's a chocolate city as well, too. So, you know what? You just had David Cully over here and you kind of did a affirmative action hire in a sense. So why don't you go get a coach? that you'll actually let build build your new roster with who knows what he's doing. He has experience and he's already been a head coach before. So those two teams right there are the perfect options for Raheem Morris, but it's really not about the demo. It's not about the skin tone or anything about this. I feel he's the best man for those jobs. And I think that what we have to do, and me and Mike spoke about this on my show yesterday, it's not about race. And I think that's where we have to kind of get things, things, uh, situated. It's it's about we got to stop making race the, the topic. We have to start these general managers, owners, they need to hire the best candidate. It, it shouldn't be about your skin tone. It shouldn't be about any of that. They hire the best candidate that's going to push their franchise forward and be a winner. You know what? Because I always say this, if I was ever uh, became a pro coach because I coached as a teenager and in, in my early 20s, I thought I was going to be a coach. But if I ever had the opportunity to coach I would say this I would say you know what if I have to be in this situation right here I have to leave this situation right here if I don't feel comfortable with this situation right here right so I say that you know pretty much you guys just have to understand that if you are the best candidate for the job and they and they passed you up for a guy that goes 3 3 and 30 His his tenure on the team, that's some scandalous stuff, but you can make him pay for it later. Sometimes you might not be ready for that job yet, but they have to fix this thing because there's a lot of really good candidates that were passed over because they just didn't either feel comfortable or this guy was somebody's son or somebody's grandson or somebody's nephew. Because that's how a lot of those coaches get their jobs is because who they're related to throughout the NFL coaching tree historically, Mike, and you know this. Absolutely. At the end of the day, Clint Kubiak just got a job with the Denver Broncos. He's an unproven uh, offensive mind in the NFL. Why does he get this job? Because his father is Gary Kubiak, a uh, successful coach with the Texans and Super Bowl winning coach with the Broncos. And well, he was John L. back
1: yeah, you don't like look have to look far from uh, us here in California up north, uh, San Francisco, right? You got a you got a head coach whose father was a Super Bowl winning coach, helped him uh, get a job, obviously on his staff, uh, on uh, the Redskins staff at at the time that also had Sean McVay, uh, who's so another
2: he, his father's like an executive, yeah, exactly. It, so you it, had, that right, yeah,
1: exactly right. So you have all these guys. That are part of the good old boys network, and they're they're coming through the ranks. Bill Belichick's son is on his staff. If I had a son, he'd be on my staff too. Right. Uh, that's just the way of the world, right? There is nepotism. That right. is a
2: real thing. That right. does happen. Um, and then you ask, where's my Tomlin's kid at? You don't
1: see. You don't see.
2: You don't, yeah, see, you don't see a lot of brothers with nepotism. Enough to be a coach. You know what I mean? Mike Tomlin been there ten years. His kids was ten when he got there. My time, actually my time. would have been there what? 15 years now. His kids yeah, are growing in college. I think, he's,
1: college. The, I think uh, he's the second longest tenured head coach in the NFL.
2: He I think right now it, it, he's, he's the longest tenured now, other than well, no, Belichick's the longest. Belichick's the longest, now. yeah. yeah be, be, it would go to Belichick. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, I just I just think that this was a great topic to be opened up because now it's gonna put these uh the it's gonna make these 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 executives accountable. Now they have to hire people on the who ha- who has the best resume, who has the best qualifications to be our head coach, who can lead us into the the next step. But as I've been told there's a different processes that go on in the hiring practices and things like that. So pretty much it's not right when you go to your interview and you go into some nine to five at some medical billing job that you applied for. This is like they put you through a round of situations. So even if you do get a second interview, that doesn't guarantee you get the job. But that means that you you did well in the first interview. So pretty much, I always say, if you you can get to the second interview, what do you have to do to become that head coach? You know what I mean? Because sometimes people feel like they just got passed on because the it, it because of. Uh, of a discriminatory situation sometimes people just got passed on because those folks don't feel like you're the fit and that's just life in general man and i've been there before where i thought i was all the way in on a great situation and then they said you know what we're gonna have to move on because we like you but the thing is though it just might not be the right fit for us and i didn't see it as no ra- uh, a racist situation or anything like that it's just that maybe it just it, it just wasn't going to work with 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 they were asking me for and what I was asking them for. It's just that simple.
1: So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is it important to have a coach that represents the demographic of the league? Like, take baseball, for example. More and more Latin American players are in baseball. We got we got some coming from the Far East, from the Asian countries, right? You know, should we have more Latin American managers in baseball because the number of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Venezuelas is on the rise? If it comes to the point where we've got a lot of Asians coming over, should we have an Asian manager? Doesn't even matter. Right. Should we be (laughs) looking at these things? Why do you have to represent
2: these things?
1: Yeah, you have to. Let Let's just say there's a bunch of Middle Easterners that all of a sudden start playing baseball. You know, should we have a Middle Eastern manager? Again, does it matter or not? These are interesting topics to explore as time goes on. But you know, it makes it just makes me wonder, especially in leagues that are diverse like the NBA and, and Major League Baseball. Those are obviously the two most diverse leagues in American sports here. Um, Baseball's been the most diverse for the longest period of time of any pro sport. Um, But you don't necessarily hear that being a topic just as much as in the NFL or in the NBA in terms of matching the demographics of the league. I would argue that one of the reasons for that is because the... uh, Black advocate groups are, are powerful, a lot more powerful than the Latino ones, than the South American ones. So they're able to use their influence and bring light to situations. You have to wonder, though, if that's going to be opportunities for other races as well, Pop.
2: Right. And you know what? The thing is, they have to kind of deal with it because, you know, they always bring, as we like to say, bring the receipts. You know what I mean? So pretty much in this is where people have their issue at. OK. Black coach doesn't get enough time to really build anything. This is goes in all, all sports, uh, baseball, basketball, football. But you could have a white coach who you know he was bad from day one, but they'll give him four years. You know what I mean? And they'll give him a chance to build something up. They'll give him a roster to run with and do all that stuff. And he still fails. And then next thing you know, he's getting the call. And this guy got to go back over and still be a defensive backs coach. And he was a head coach in the, in the league before. Oh, you're assistant defensive coordinator. No, you don't even get the title of being the defensive coordinator anymore. And you were a head coach in the league. So I get it. That's where it just becomes very, very obvious where you can see everything there. You know what I mean? So that's where people have their real gripes at and everything like that. And I've done and like I said before, I don't like talking racing, and sports and things like that. But you know what? I it, it's it's like where you're sitting on, on on the edge of the cliff. Are you gonna jump off the cliff or just go ahead and just face the facts. But, well, I got to go ahead and face the facts. Right. And I got to go ahead and talk about it. So that's my feeling on it. And that's how I feel about it. And I just think that we got to have this is this is signs of change. It might not happen now, but it's going to be it's going to progress into something much better later. It's interesting. But
1: it's very interesting point, by the way, that you make about how long do you get to be able to kind of develop your program as a black head coach? in uh, in some of these sports, do you get like a, is it a very short leash? Do you get that full opportunity to be able to develop and enhance your program with your markings on it? How much influence do you have on your markings? Are you getting control with the draft or do you have somebody else drafting for you? And then you pay the price for that person, the other person's draft picks. These are all fascinating aspects of this discussion. There's one other, by the way, too, which is, uh, longevity. If you look at, like let's say, Bobby Bowden at Florida State, Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier, uh, a lot of these legendary coaches, we could go on and on in a lot of these sports, like a Bill Belichick, et cetera. How many long-term blackhead coaches have we had? Outside of Mike Tomlin, I can't really think of anybody.
2: Right. Then you think of Tomlin, you think of Dennis Green, and then you think of Marvin Lewis, and that's about it.
1: But even Marvin Lewis is a great example because he's somebody. He was he would an do, excellent
2: coach. He should have. He went to the playoffs every single year, right? Because see, I seen because I seen a coach do the same thing Marvin Lewis did, and he went off and he got a job immediately. His name, and you know what? He had a better record than the guy too. Jeff Fisher. Oh my God, Jeff Fisher. Uh, Mike. <laughs> great example. <laughs> give Jeff Fisher the golden, the golden, the golden franchise of. Giving him Saint giving him the Rams right before they leave St. Louis. How, do you, Jeff, uh, How do you mess
1: Fisher, that up? Poor Jeff Fisher, by the way. Poor Jeff Fisher. His name is brought up like all the time. He's the poster right. child of this. It's not his fault. He's he just took kept taking jobs as I would as well. So uh, I got I got to at least point that out. That uh, sorry, Jeff, you're the poster child of this because you were mediocre with your results for so damn long. You right, ra- because ran ran other. Go, right up, wrote on the coattails of that Tennessee Titans Super Bowl
2: against the right. Rams for like right. two decades. Because <laughs> I, look, I look at two franchises that could have used Marvin Lewis, and they're both playing the same stadium, the Jets and the Giants. Either one. Either one. Either one. The last three coaches are nowhere near as good as Marvin Lewis that were in New York. After um, our guy, after uh, what's his name? The coach that won two Super Bowls. Coughlin. Yeah, after Coughlin, who who has, who have they had after Coughlin? You could have brought in Marvin Lewis. you would at least been in the playoffs. He yeah, at least still would have had it. And you know what? He would have been able to uh, lasso OBJ on in too as well. See, that's what people didn't forgot about Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis took guys that were malcontents and things of that nature, and he turned them and he turned them into model citizens. Or Literally, they, they they did their job correctly, and they stayed out of trouble. Literally saved Pac-Man Jones' life. Come on, dude. And you don't reward him with another job? What are these GMs thinking, Mike? Seriously. Yeah. You, Unfortunately, you, some of you these— You deal with them all the time.
1: Unfortunately, some of these trouble players didn't reward him because whenever, whenever a game was online and it was important, they rewarded <laughs> Marvin Lewis with a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. But that's a different story for another but day.
2: But you get what I'm saying. I though, totally man. get Chad, what you're saying. Chad Cinco, TJ J., T. Hoosmanzada would never be in a league if they don't have a coach like Marvin, uh, Marvin uh, that believed in them. You know, what I mean, and these guys were uber talents over at Oregon State, and he made sure that they both were drafted and he made sure that they both were on that roster and they both became pro bowlers after that because he knew their talent. And that's what I'm saying is that if Marvin Lewis was able to get the opportunity to have a a, a definitive roster. He wouldn't won two Super Bowls simple. Let me give you one last great example about Marvin. Everybody always gives Brian Billick all the love for that Ravens team and Ray Lewis as well, too. I always say the guy who was really motivating and coaching that team up X's and O's is Marvin Lewis. That was his great. That was his greatest moment was coaching up that great defense, and that got him the Cincinnati job for the next fifteen years.
1: Great point, Pop. You know we're up against another commercial, and I know you got to drop out this time. Where can people hear the great Pop Dibiase?
2: Well. They can hear me up under the freeway on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> kidding. But uh, you guys can uh, check me out on Prime Wave Media, the channel on um, YouTube. My show's is uh, daily from 12 to 1 o'clock. I also have horsing Around as well, too. You guys can follow me on the Twitter at PopDbiasi. Make sure to follow my media uh, page, my company, uh, Prime Wave Media Group. That's also on the Twitter as well, too. It's at MG. So you guys follow that for all my uh, little uh quotes and articles and stuff that i've been putting out daily so you guys always be ready for that for my little thoughts that i have um and that will be coming through the prime wave media um page so you guys can catch me there and um you know what uh, hopefully i'll be back next week and we'll have our boy gino here with us so we can have a big argument about the super bowl
1: there you have it folks the man <laughs> the myth the legend pop Dpiasi thank you so much my friend we're going to take our final commercial time out and we'll actually talk a little bit of on the field sports right after all right
2: this. All right.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers.
1: Fascinating topics, that's for sure. This uh, controversy, if you want to call it that, that Brian Flores has brought to the uh, surface here. Things that we've talked about during each coaching cycle for as long as I can remember. Diversity. But now he's added kind of like a, a layer of Documentation, I guess, is probably the best word, a paper trail, for why this is not just a legitimate issue, but an actionable one in a court of law. And I think for Brian Flores, the straw that broke the camel's back was receiving a text message from Bill Belichick by accident. Bill Belichick was looking to text a different Brian. Not Brian Flores, but Brian Dable. And he texts Flores inadvertently, saying, congrats, you got the job. Well, Flores figured out that it was not him, that it was Dable. Problem is, it was on the eve of Flores' interview with the Giants. A job that he just found out went to somebody else, went to another Brian So, put yourself in his shoes. You're at the eve of your once-in-a-lifetime interview with the New York Giants. And your heart gets ripped out from your throat when you find out that the job has already been awarded to somebody else. Former colleague, may I add. Making your Interview a total sham, making it completely worthless and unnecessary. It's kind of an embarrassment, really. It's disrespectful to Brian Flores, at the very least, and to the process, and to the Rooney rule, and to us as fans because we're kind of getting bullshit. I don't know, those are just my thoughts, but kind of like I as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, the bigger issue to me beyond race is are these allegations of match fixing? I mean, if this has legs, it's got the possibility of being huge. Remember something? All of these sports have gone through nasty incidents, right? Black eyes, all of these sports, the type of black eyes where people say, I'm not going to follow pro football anymore, pro basketball anymore, or baseball, everything ranging from steroid scandals to lockouts to uh, fights in the stands in the NBA to concussion controversies and scandals. The cheating, you name it—all these leaks have gone through it. But the one thing that's always been, at least, the the worst sin, let's just say, has been cheating. It has been uh, has been integrity uh, match fixing, game fixing. The two most obvious examples are the Chicago Black Sox scandal and then Pete Rose. I mean, these are like the unforgivable sins. And those were involving players slash Pete Rose was a player manager when he was uh, involved with gambling. And by the way, there was never any proof that Pete Rose fixed any matches. In fact, if anything... Most of the evidence shows that Pete Rose, you know, only bet on himself or his team when when he bet on them to win. Which some could say, well, that means that the day before he used the bullpen a little bit differently to set up the win the next day and stuff like that. I don't know. Those are a lot of those things are kind of more, you know, hypothetical possibilities. Maybe it's kind of the opposite. I'll say. Maybe it's because he knows that his bullpen is well-rested and and he knows that his guy is going to be firing fresh, his starter, his players are well-rested, so on and so forth, that he really feels that they're going to win today. That's neither here nor there. It goes to the integrity of the sport. And anytime that you attack the integrity of the sport and it has legs, it's a huge deal. Not just a big deal, but a huge deal. So... It'll be very interesting to see how this all unfolds. Now, I said we're going to talk on the other side about more on the field stuff. So let me get to that. The reason that we can spend so much time today talking about some of these different topics is because we have next week's Super Bowl preview show. So we'll be talking a lot of X's and O's and and football and predictions and stuff like that relating to the big game next Thursday. And like I said in the first segment of the show, you don't really have that many storylines anyway. So I'm not to say that this I'm not saying this is a boring Super Bowl. It's not. It should be a really fun game on paper. You know, really good offense against a really good defense. The team with a good defense has a decent offense as well. And the team with a really good offense has a decent defense. Good formula for a good matchup. Should make for a really, really competitive game. I think the the biggest kind of on-field storyline is probably Joe Burrow and that offense with Jamar Chase and those receivers and Joe Mixon against the D-line of the Rams. Does the Bengals O-line hold up? Give Burrow enough time to be able to dissect the Rams defense. So yeah, that's going to be... A really, really fun matchup. Probably one of the on-paper matchups I'm, I'm more looking forward to. I've been more looking forward to in a long time when it comes to Super Bowls. And we have some different teams, right? I mean, Bengals aren't are in the running every year or anything like that. Not even close. So it's kind of cool to get a newcomer into the mix. The Rams were in Super Bowl a couple years ago, but they were kind of a different team. Um. Again, Rams aren't necessarily a Super Bowl regular, so that should be a lot of fun. We'll spend probably the entire next episode talking about the big game. But I did want to shift the focus a little bit to uh, Team USA Soccer, Christian Pulisic. They won yesterday. They beat Honduras, a team that they should be beating, 3-0, and they won 3-0. They probably should be beating them 5-0, but they won 3-0. There was a call on a goal that was nullified that Pulisic put in. Oh, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts about Christian Pulisic because he was one of those guys that came into the fold with a lot of fanfare. You know, he was probably the the biggest prospect in soccer uh, in the United States since maybe Freddie Adu, and we all know that Freddie did never materialize to be the gigantic Hall of Fame type player that met the expectations of a teen superstar like Freddie Adu. So where where does Christian Pulisic rank? Has he met the expectations? And what are the expectations? Because we're in a day and age now where to really, really be like the guy, you not only have to win, but you got to win a lot. And we've kind of been spoiled with it in the last couple of decades, if you think about it, throughout sports. Let's start with tennis. How many Grand Slams have been won by people not Serena Williams, Federer, Nadal, the Joker? For a long period of time, same thing in golf with Tiger Woods. LeBron James in basketball, Tom Brady in football. So now when you're comparing to greatness, those are ridiculous standards to have to meet. If to be considered great, you have to be in the company of those people or of like a Michael Jordan elk then we're not going to have a lot of people that qualify for greatness in the next couple of decades because I don't see how you could even match up with the Brady's 10 Super Bowls. I mean, half his seasons were in Super Bowls. But that's what it's going to take to be great. I don't know if we're going to have any great players anytime soon. Now, maybe we would have said that from a couple of decades ago, right? Where we had Mike Tyson and we had Michael Jordan and, and Joe Montana and sure guys came along and took the mantle of greatness so maybe i'm wrong i just think that today's great oh let's not forget wayne gretzky of course but that may have been kind of a once in a lifetime thing right where you had greatness handing off the mantle to more greatness i don't know we'll see i just think that the standard that these guys have set the bar has been set so high, I'm not sure we ever see it again. So bringing that back to Christian Pulisic, what does he have to beat, Pele? Well, I'll say at the very least, from an American viewership and fandom perspective, he probably needs to get Team USA into uh, not just into the World Cup, but to make a decent run, definitely to get get out of the group stage. But even that alone... That's kind of like a low bar for Team USA because Team USA has not had a lot of success, so to speak. But that's probably not enough to elevate him to greatness. That's just enough to elevate him to popularity amongst American soccer fans. What would it take for Christine Pulisic to meet the greatness? Probably lead them to multiple World Cups, and I don't think that's even a possibility. Hope I'm wrong. Nothing more that I'd love to see than the Team USA winning multiple World Cups. I'd be happy with just with a uh, you know final four appearance or something. I don't know. I like the guy. He performed well yesterday. Coming off the bench, he was uh, an offensive spark that was. Very evident right when he got into the game. Shots on goals went up, and he was able to put them in under very difficult freezing conditions. Granted, they were at home. Home in the United States, that is. They were in uh, Minnesota. Not the time of year that you want to be playing an outdoor game, but they did it. And as he said in the interview afterwards, I can't wait to get to the locker room (laughs) because it was so darn freezing. So good luck to Team USA. We don't talk a lot of soccer necessarily, but I wanted to spend a few minutes at least talking about that, talking about him, and uh, hopefully rooting them on the World Cup is in November in Qatar. So we're, I think, 232 days away or something like that from the next World Cup. It better involve Team USA. That's all I know. I'm going to be greatly disappointed, and I think many people will if it does not involve Team USA. So we are coming close to the end of the show, unfortunately. Uh, Just got a a few moments left with you guys here. Um, Next week, we will be doing our Super Bowl preview show. Uh, We're efforting to line up a variety of guests talking about the game from a couple different perspectives. We'll probably dissect it uh, on the field as well as by the numbers. By the numbers, meaning the wagering lines, the over, the under, the prop bets. Kind of look at what are some of the um, value plays, if you will, that the Super Bowl affords. There are two plays that I always like playing hands down, blindly every single year. I say it on this show. I've told my friends every year. I like to go over on sacks, over on INTs each and every year. It, they're they're fun bets to root for because it's not about winning or losing, but typically the losing quarterback hits the over on the INTs by himself, unless it's Tom Brady. But usually, losing quarterback has two or three interceptions. The line's usually one and a half sacks. Usually, the over/unders around four and a half or five. One team usually has four. The other team usually has two. There's no tomorrow. So in terms of the INTs, you're throwing Hail Marys at the end of the half, end of the game. Those are often ripe opportunities for interceptions, sacks, dropbacks, etc. So that is all the time that we've got on this week's show. We'll be doing our Super Bowl preview show next week. I hope you could join us. It should be a lot of fun. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.